Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. A couple big sequels lead the way this week. Welcome. Thank you for stopping by this Screening Room podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And the Screening Room podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and those dream lounger recliners that George loves. Love them. We got another one that would look good on the big screen. In oh, fact, yeah. this one is 3D. Uh, to start off with this week, latest in the Marvel Universe is the sequel to Ant-Man that uh, was pretty, pretty big success a few years ago. This is Ant-Man and the Wasp. I do some dumb things, and the people I love the most, they pay the price. Thanks to you, we had to run. We're still running. Let's go. Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Like a partner. Hold on. You gave her wings and blasters. So I take it you didn't have that tech available for me. No, I did. Well, if you remember at the close of Ant-Man, we got a clue that Hope Van Dyne, Hope, <laughs> we like her already, was going to be the Wasp. We got a glimpse of the suit at the end of uh, Ant-Man. So she's back now to be uh, Ant-Man's partner. And this one, you know, it brings a lot of the same things that Ant-Man did, the vibe, the fun, but I think one of the things that it does best is it makes that character, the Wasp, Hope Van Dyne, it makes that character matter, because I think in the first one, she was mainly a distraction. You know, I think the first movie benefited from some kind of low expectations. I think most people were like, Ant-Man, really? <laughs> you know, and then you watch it, and it was it was fun, you know, more than anything. It was mm -hmm. just a fun movie, and for me, in the first movie, the mother, the father-daughter dynamic, the super seriousness going on there. I didn't care for that. It, yeah. it was it there were times when the comedic style and this, you know, sort of very comic book ultra seriousness, I didn't think meshed that well. I think they really remedied that for this one because I think she uh and uh, Michael Douglas who plays her father, they're just more irritated than they are super dramatic. <laughs> and I think it helps that the stakes are a little lower, which, which as, and you, as you mentioned in your review, it's part of the same writing team that did Spider-Man Homecoming. Homecoming, and it does have that same vibe, which really suits this project. Yeah, it's funny to say scaled down because of the premise of this movie, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it, pun, pun is really not intended because that's what they do. And, it, and it's nice because we just got done with, you know, galaxy hopping and the hugeness of yeah. Thanos yeah. and Infinity War. Mm -hmm. Not to say we didn't like that movie, we did. But it's kind of refreshing just to sit back and just kind of, it's kind of a palate cleanser yeah. as we get ready for for the next one. But yes, you mentioned Michael Douglas. Uh, he's back. And of course, Paul Rudd right. is playing and Evangeline Lilly. Scott Lang uh, or Ant-Man and Evangeline Lilly. Is Evangeline or Evangeline? I don't know. You know who we mean from Lost. Anyway, so she's back. Most of the, the cast uh, from the from the first movie is back. And I think as this one went along, it kind of reminded me of it being a, a family-friendly cousin to Deadpool. Because it has, you know, Deadpool not for the families. No, right? Don't bring but, your kids. But this one has the same type of wink, wink vibe. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have the obscenities or the foulness. No. And also the star, in this case Paul Rudd, just like Ryan Reynolds in the Deadpool's, gets a, a writing credit. Mm 
mm-hmm. and you really get the feeling that the character is so much of his own persona. Mm-hmm. You know, because Paul Rudd can be so funny that way yeah. with his just little snide remarks, but he's but he's sweet too. Yeah. You know, it's Paul Rudd, super likable, so super likable, affable, exactly. And that's what this character is, and that's what this movie is. It, it has that just fun, breezy vibe. Uh, the director's back, Peyton Reed from the from the first one. It's very funny. It's got some funny lines, and you got to give a shout out to Michael Pena. Who is, oh, same is, as the last same movie. Same as the last he, one. He steals some yeah, he scenes. Does. He's he really funny. Does. He is funny in this. Has some great lines. And uh, and also some really amazing effects. Mm-hmm. They really take advantage of, you know, the whole calling card of this franchise is getting small. Let's get small. Who remembers that from the 70s? And and then they can get really big, too, which now, is a thing you yeah. forget about. You know, they can get really gigantic and really small. And uh, they really play with that with some really interesting set pieces that that uh, are really cool, especially if you've ever visited San Francisco, because they use some of those yeah, yeah, yeah. some of those sets, some of those locales very well. But it all adds up to a fun adventure. You know, we could talk about what the what the plot is, but it really doesn't matter. You just know that at one point, uh, Ant Man says, "Do you guys just put quantum in front of everything?" <laughs> and yes, they pretty much do. It's, it's quantum this and quantum that, but. It, it has to do with, uh, actually, they think they can find a way. The father-daughter team thinks they have stumbled onto a way to get their wife-slash-mother, uh, Janet Van Dyne, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, out of this uh, the quantum, realm. quantum realm that she's been held in for, like, some 30 years. Yeah, because she went subatomic. She went subatomic, because that's what she does. Atomic. And yeah. uh, um, at the same time, this very mysterious character known as Ghost gets wind of this research that they're working on and thinks that it may be the kind of the, the last ditch thing to save her life because she is what we call molecularly challenged. Mm. So uh, but there's quantum all over the place. There Just know quantum. that. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's fun, it's funny and yeah, it's in between Infinity Wars, I think it's a real nice just change of pace. Like, there, there's that, that that phrase again, scaled down. Mm-hmm. But it is, just like you mentioned, Spider-Man home, Homecoming. We don't always have to take on the Lord of the Universe. Right, now. You know? Uh, this time it's a little more intimate, a little more personal of an adventure. But it, it, it really worked. And also, you know it's Marvel, so you know you're going to get the Stan Lee cameo, so check. And you also know you're going to get some extra scenes. Two stingers, usually, for any Marvel film. And this is is no different. But the first one is among the best I have ever seen. It is near to perfect. It's really good. In fact, you could feel the the reaction from the audience yeah. we saw it yeah. with, and me included. Yeah. I think a couple of Jaws uh, might have might have come agape. It was great. Now, the, the, the one at the very end of the credits is totally for fun. Oh, yeah. Totally a gag. Mm-hmm. And, but, but by all means, stay for it. But you do not want to miss the one halfway through. No, that the credits, was, yeah. No. That was a stunner. Yeah. But uh, I think we, we both have a recommendation for Ant-Man and the Wasp. I think you'll enjoy it. It's fun in a family-friendly way. Mm-hmm. No F-bombs no. is what we're saying. Not no Deadpools. <laughs> But the next one this week, definitely not family-friendly. It's the latest in the Purge franchise. After the rise of a third political party, the new founding fathers of America, an experiment is conducted. No laws for 12 hours on Staten Island. No one must stay during the experiment, yet there is a $5,000 payment for anyone who does. It's a sequel-prequel called The First Purge. Tonight, we'll see the good and evil in everyone. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the first purge. Parties, you predicted a much higher level of participation. Human nature does not obey the laws of politics. 
What the hell is going on? You're sending soldiers into the island disguised as citizens. This country needs for this to work. No one's coming to help us. After tonight, nothing will ever be the same again. Just remember all the good the purge does. So franchise creator James DeMonico returns. Uh, this time he is only writing uh, the, the first three he wrote and directed. And he turns the directing duties over to Gerard McMurray, who's... Uh, his feature debut, right? It is right? his yeah. feature debut, yeah. And one of the reasons that I think that this worked really well, the tone is different in this movie, the stakes are different in this movie, but also it, it, it does a nice job of telling the story from the point of view of a number of characters of color. And McMurray is a, a director of color. So I like that pairing. I liked the first three films in this series, but they had a, a tone of sort of superiority. Like, if you're not careful, everybody, this is what's going to happen. That is not the tone in this movie. No. The tone is, this is today. Right. If it's not today, it's maybe three weeks out. Yeah, I think the the Purge, from the beginning, the Purge was an, was an awful clever conceit. Yes. Um, I really liked about the first half of the first one, the very first Purge mm -hmm. movie. Then it kind of turned into something that wasn't fantastic, but wasn't bad. No, I but what it was, it was, a, was a, nice, a little preachy. A little bit. And then the other sequels have had things to like about them, right. but yet not a complete, completely successful work. This one, yeah, this one I like, number one, it has zero Fs to give. No, Done. None. Done. No. And it it's, is trying to impress no one. And it's, and it's pulling... Really, no punches no. in what it's saying. You're right. It's saying, no, you know, this is not only... All the movies have had a political bent to them. Absolutely. Them. You, you very, can't get around very. it. But this one is saying, you know, not only is this how they got there in the movie, but this is how we get there in our society. Yeah. And that's why it looks so much like present day. In fact... I caught. I'd have to. See, I'd have to really see it again to see if, if if this is really what I saw. But I swear, in somebody's bedroom in this movie, there's not only a poster of the movie Halloween, but it's a poster of the the new new the movie one that Halloween come out till that hasn't come out yet. Right. Which, if that's if that's the case, which it would sets set the movie. Us, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think I bet you that's true. And I bet it's just a subtle jab. But no, this is right now. I mean, right now. And which makes it even more scary. And it does get, events get bloody. Oh, uh, yeah. It takes a little while. It takes about half an hour, I think, till the actual first purge kicks off. And, and things and things do get bloody. But it's it, it's awful up front with its message. And one of the things I liked about it, to step away a little bit from the, you know, the very political, very current day message, I loved that. So this is the experiment on one island that the New Founding Fathers use to determine whether or not the purge is going to be good for everybody. And, right. of course, the point of the purge allegedly is so that you have one night to just get the evil out, and then the rest of the year you're going to be good, right? right. But the, the truth is it's because it's a, a, a hyper-conservative government body with, and in this film, very open, backing from the NRA, that wants to rid us the as a country of the lower classes. And they see this right. as a way to accomplish that. They, so, In their eyes, they're basically less than human anyway. And they cost money, and yeah, they don't want exactly. to pay for Make, social services. Makers and takers exactly. and that whole thing. So, yeah. Which kind of, as we said, has kind of been 
at the root of the message from oh, the absolutely, beginning. But absolutely, absolutely, this one is well, one right out in front. I like about it is that so the idea is they will kill each other. Just give them this opportunity, right? So they pay you to stay on the island, and you get extra money if you quote purge. Right. But the truth is, what they wind up doing is not killing each other, aside from a handful of uh, a handful of psychos. They wind up doing other things that are illegal to do. And I really, and, and often they do it en masse. And I enjoyed that. I appreciated that because I think it's true. We wouldn't just all kill each other. It's a very small number of people who would do that. We might break some laws, but it would be more of a party atmosphere, I think. So then it comes into play about, well, maybe the experiment needs a little help. To, a little nudge. To get the results that we want. And then, you know, you start seeing... Um, the bloody results of of the purge that we've gotten in the the first three films, right, but, right. But yeah, I agree with you. It's a, I think it's a really bold, you know, as we said, un, uncaring uh, statement about uh, this is this is this is what it means, yeah. and this is what the kind of I'm, I'm taking the the underlying message of this entire premise and really putting it out there for anybody who hasn't gotten it so far. Right. There's no. If you don't get it, if you don't get it in this movie, you're asleep, right. pretty much. But but it's still, I thought it was, uh, you know, for for just the strictly horror fans, like I said, it's bloody. It definitely is. It gets moving, and I think it's a decent. It's not an excellent film, but it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I uh, I liked it a lot, yeah. actually. I I did. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I thought I think that's a, a nice start for this director who yeah. will, will be on the map and say, interesting, see mm-hmm. what he was, what mm-hmm. he can do, what he can do next, and that is the first purge. Next up is the latest documentary from director Kevin McDonald. It's an in-depth look at the life and the music of Whitney Houston, called Whitney. Loneliness calls. Her voice, I was totally knocked out. Woo! Oh, you miss something if you don't see her live. There were times when I would look up to God and I'd go, why is this happening to me? I come from a family of singers. My mom, she was a little tough on Whitney because she knew what Whitney had. There were always a lot of secrets. When you don't resolve things and you don't deal with things, they never go away. Yeah, Kevin McDonald at the helm of this, he's an interesting director. He has a very long list of credits, both documentaries and narratives. He did The Last King of Scotland, yeah, remember yeah. that? Years mm-hmm. ago, did State of Play, which was good. He also did a really good music documentary a few years ago called Marley, obviously on Bob Marley. The thing was about darn near three hours long. So very expansive and, and very good. So he's back to the music biographies here with Whitney. And, you know, obviously you know at the outset this is going to be a sad story. Yeah. Uh, and it is. Uh, but it's really well put together. And what it does is get behind, you know, the tabloid fodder to try to make it a personal story and find out, you know, maybe why... Her life ended the way it did. And it's really interesting to to look how this movie came to be. It really was a, a labor of love from executive producer Nicole David, who she has been a talent agent for years, and she was Whitney Houston's talent agent for about 30 years. But before that, she had a really interesting job. She was the voice of Velma Doo. The original voice of Velma on Scooby-Doo. That... Who is my hero, by the way. <laughs> Velma, well, from the time I was very yeah. small. Velma from Scooby-Doo was my first hero. So and then she got you know, into, uh, into talent agencies and things, but she was in such sorrow over Whitney Houston's death, her mm. friend, and she didn't think that people you know, understood her life and really wanted that life to be told. And even though Kevin McDonald, I guess at the beginning, was not really interested in the project, mm-hmm. she convinced him to do it. 
And it really turns out to be a, a, an emotional, a, a touching film. I mean, it's funny because as big a superstar as Whitney Houston was, and if anybody forgets, she was effing huge. Oh, she was enormous. I mean, she signed, back in the day, she signed a $100 million recording contract. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, she. I, I think she still has the record for consecutive number one singles by a female artist. I mean, it was just insane. Oh, yeah. Huge. But the funny thing was, she, she wasn't a songwriter, so no. you didn't have really any you know, soul-bearing songs like Amy Winehouse. Right, because, because the two documentaries are, are similar in a lot of ways, and I think that this is one of the maybe reasons that McDonald wasn't immediately interested, is this has such a typical behind-the-music structure. Yeah, it does. You know, fame, and then drugs, and then tragedy. Right, but, exactly. But because of the intimacy of the story being told, and really because we didn't get... A lot of that. She was not overexposed in that kind of way that uh, it it really keeps the movie very surprising. Yeah, it's funny because she doesn't have... Everybody remembers that one, you know, cringeworthy interview she did, the Crack is Whack interview with Diane Sawyer, and they certainly addressed that. Other than that, she really didn't do a whole lot of interviews. The one she did do, she didn't really reveal too much. No. So, so this movie uh, really has to rely on... He, I mean, he digs deep with the interviews with, with family and close friends who... Uh, to them, she was nippy. That was her, her name. She and, and, and the movie kind of sets up two personas. You know, she was nippy to her intimate friends, and then she was Whitney Houston to the world. Uh, so it relies a lot on these interviews and also a lot on some, some home movies that are bittersweet. So, and, and you get a look behind, you know, there were the whispers of her relationship with her longtime friend and assistant, Robert Crawford. Then there's the, the rumors of the sexual uh, abuse by a family member, and all that is covered. And and, of course, the drugs and Bobby Brown, who does not come off that well in this movie, if you could... Man, that's on the shocker. You're right. You know. But they talk to everybody and dig as deep as they can. And, you know, it, it constructs a very effective but, but sad timeline. Right. And it's interesting how you definitely hear her voice get worse and worse and worse. You know, in the beginning... And in so many years, that voice was so strong. Just, my Lord. Yeah. And then... And then finally, toward the end, you see a bit of a, a fan-made concert video from out in the crowd, and oh, it's just gone. Yeah. It's just gone. Uh, and it makes it a real, the, the timeline just follows. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a very effective documentary, um, you know, for fans, for non-fans. But you know it's going to be sad, and it is. Yeah. But it gives you a more of a an understanding, I guess, that maybe if you can make a case that she was a victim of circumstance uh, and not someone to be laughed at. Uh, and they and they bring up that point very very clearly in this movie about laughing at her, especially during her rough times. Uh, th- this movie does that, so I would definitely recommend it. It's a good good music documentary. Uh, Whitney's out this week, and one more in limited release is set in the Wild West, circa 1870. Samuel, an affluent pioneer, ventures across the American frontier to marry the love of his life, Penelope. As his group traverses the West, the once simple journey grows treacherous, blurring the lines between hero, villain, and damsel. It's called Damsel. <laughs> gave him mixed signals. I gave you no signals! If you're gonna go on questioning the validity of my feelings, then you can go to hell. You're a regular black widow, ain't you? Things are gonna be lousy in new and fascinating ways. You always said the miniature horse was the cutest, most beautiful critters you've ever seen. I never said that! David and Nathan Zelder make odd 
movies. (laughs) And I was eager to see this one because you and I loved their last movie so much. Kumiko, the treasure hunter. Wasn't that great? It was so good. It was so unique. It was so unusual. And unexpected, yeah. And gorgeous. Yeah, so if you haven't seen that, look it up. But anyway, back to this one. Now, Damsel, it follows that kooky kind of vibe. Yes, it's it's very kooky. And one of the things that I think really marks their uh, style is the way that they create these absolutely gorgeous panoramas that are always full of some kind of visual absurdity. Yeah. And that's really, really true here. And and there's a, a term that gets thrown on a lot, revisionist Western. But I don't think I've seen a Western more revisionist than this. It's not a spoof, <laughs> you know, although it is a comedy. Yeah. But it's a bittersweet comedy. But basically it presents all of the archetypical Western ideas. You've got a, you know, a stranger who comes into town and he hires the person and they're going to go and they're going to save this, you know, damsel in distress, and it's, you know, and and the the longer it goes on, the more they just tweak every single idea that you've come to be used to, and, and in a very comedic and very, very, very quirky way. And in the end, basically, Penelope, played by Mia Wasikowski, she is repeatedly the next man just tries to take possession. And yeah. then the next man, she just, it, it, it just repeatedly, she has to be, you know, and it's, it's a very, very interesting take because generally these revisionist Westerns, rightly so look at a Western from the point of view of native Americans, because mm-hmm. that is really the dichotomy that we are not used to. It was fascinating to me to see one that actually just shows how horrible it would have been to be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And also we have to, we haven't even mentioned yet. Samuel is played by Robert Pattinson, and who's awesome. we're going to make a lot of fans, including my cousin Jenny, very happy when to say that he is fantastic. He's so good. He's so funny. Uh, he creates such a great character, really memorable, very odd character. But you know what? He's been coming on here for oh, a few years. If you haven't seen Good Time, yeah. that was so good last Rover. year. Or oh, the yeah, Rover. that's right. That's I mean, right. He, he's been showing his chops. I loved Cosmopolis. Not a lot of people did. Yeah, he's been showing his chops for a few few years now, so this shouldn't be that surprising. But just in case, all the Robert Pattons and fans, yeah, he's good. One of the things I liked about it, right from the very beginning, he smiles, you know, and that kind of that kind of famous snaggle tooth that he has. It's a gold <laughs> tooth in this one. Yeah. So they've cat it's yeah, he is he's so odd and so enjoyable. He just steals every scene to the degree that honestly the film suffers when he is not in it. And and for that reason it does lag a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a really, really clever conceit, very well executed. So I, I, I enjoy and recommend Damsel. And with that, it's time to go to the lobby. In the lobby, we check out what's new in home video this week, and the first one up is Blockers, comedy that uh, I thought was pretty darn funny. It's, you do like a raunchy comedy, I do George. like a raunchy comedy, and it's it's Blockers, but it's really cock blockers, <laughs> because if you've seen the poster, it's got the rooster up there. And uh, remember the first time we saw that poster, it took me a minute. I don't know why it was so slow in the uptake, but then I'm like, oh, I get it. And uh, yeah, so you can imagine, it's, it's parents trying to stop their daughters from going all the way on prom night. And they all want to do this so they can all get back together every year and commemorate the occasion by having dinner at Olive Garden. <laughs> That's the plan for Sixth Pack 2018 that the kids make. And, you know, and just the way that the parents find out about it by trying to decipher these emojis is hilarious. I mean, you've got Leslie Mann always is one of the parents. Hilarious. Always good. John Cena, yes. who is continuing to show that he's got charisma and can handle both drama and these comedies. He's still incredibly huge. And the 
the films have to deal with that somehow because you can't just have this guy in your neighborhood. Good Lord, you know, you have to address it. But other than that, he's he's got that little thing. He's got kind of a movie star quality about him. And then the Ike uh, Barinholtz, who has been a supporting actor in a lot of things, and he's very funny too. The kids are all great. It you know it goes into one or two areas that are okay. You're going over the top here, but I laugh consistently. And it's got a sweet message about it that, you know what, you know, maybe these kids aren't stupid and maybe these girls don't need your saving. Yeah. Which is a decent message to have uh, at the same time being pretty funny. So I liked it, blockers, cock blockers. The next one out this week on home video is Seven Days in Entebbe. And obviously it talks about the week in the 1970s, 1976, when uh, Israeli defense forces invaded Uganda's Entebbe airport for a rescue of hostages from a hijacked jetliner out of Tel Aviv. It's really well done. It's well put together. Two good lead performances by Daniel Bruhl and Rosamund Pike. And then you've got really, you've also got a very solid supporting cast, including, of course, Lior Ashkenazi, who we love. We love. Yeah, he plays uh, Yitzhak Rabin. And then you've got Eddie, Eddie Marson, oh, yeah, who he's plays always great. Shimon Perez. So uh, it's very steeped in history. It's But the problem with the movie is, you know, that the script has moments of real bite, real resonance, but... Too many times it it's kind of repeats its same message. It's kind of running in place, and it really never rises above just a really well-produced history lesson, mm-hmm. which for anybody who, who doesn't know much about the uh, incident... I that, did not know anything about it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fine to get that, but at the end you're like, boy, there should have been a little something more yeah. than, than just kind of shrugging your shoulders at, at, the na- at the elusive nature of peace, and that's kind of the vibe that you get from this movie. But it is well done and well acted. Just just needed it to be more than a history lesson. Seven Days in Entebbe. And Michelle Pfeiffer, who we just talked about from Ant-Man and the Wasp, she has a tremendous performance out this week on home video called Where is Kira? It's a great, really revealing look at how quickly you can descend to the lowest ranks of poverty. And Michelle Pfeiffer is absolutely amazing she, in she, it. Yeah, she's the main reason to see the film. I mean, it's a solid film. Uh, I don't think it's a great film, but it's it's really elevated by her performance. And she's backed up by Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, who's very, very who's good. Who's very good. But she plays a woman really caught in, in circumstances that make her make some dangerous choices. Not only shows the sad nature of aging in America sometimes, mm. and then a very slippery slope to, like you said, to poverty. Yeah. Toward the end, it has her character make some, some choices that maybe strain credulity yeah, yeah, a little bit yeah. which kind of hurt the uh, the finale but uh, it's pretty solid and especially for her performance Michelle Pfeiffer's performance uh, whereas Kira is definitely worth checking out next week something for everybody Guy Scraper right yeah. the latest from The Rock <laughs> I think uh, didn't we just see and I, I, I don't know if it's real or not but they have a, a poster that definitely mimics is a, is a you know an, a complete homage yeah. to the poster from Die Hard yes, my all time favorite yes. movie so that's if that's right. the way they're going and they're just owning it and admitting it and taking it and running, well, thumbs up to you. Yeah. So we'll we'll, we'll look for that one this week. Next I'm week. I'm less excited about that <laughs> one, I think, than you are. The one I'm really looking forward to is Sorry to Bother oh, You. Oh, me too. Cannot wait to see that one. I'm less excited for Hotel Transylvania 3 Summer Vacation because I hated, hated the first one because I like monsters. Yeah. It's one of those it. that, wow, did it? these really making enough yeah. money to get a three? But yeah. they're doing okay. But, you know, we'll keep our, well, I'm lying. We're actually sending Rachel Willis to review it because I'm afraid <laughs> that I would just go in with a poison pen. And yeah. I, it, it, it deserves. Exactly. That's right. 
It deserves a, a fresh look. Yeah, so one of our other writers from MadWolf.com going to cover that. So we will talk about all those next week. And until then, let us know what you thought about uh, this week's crop of films, The First Purge, Ant-Man and the Wasp, maybe the Whitney Houston documentary or Damsel. Always love to talk movies. The easiest way to get a hold of us is on Twitter. We're at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can check out all those Written reviews is madwolf.com. And also you can check out, you can find our other podcasts there. If you love the horror movies as we do, we have a horror-centric podcast called Fright Club that you can find. So plenty of ways to get a hold of us. We would love it if you would. The Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and presented by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. Until next week, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.